You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello all, Eric Rivenis with the Most Notorious Podcast here. Each week I interview an author or historian about a historical true crime, tragedy, or disaster. Subject matter ranges from gunslingers to Gilded Age murder to gangsters to fires to pirates to wild prison breaks. My guests bring their incredible knowledge directly to you. Please subscribe to Most Notorious on your favorite podcast app. Cheers, and have a safe tomorrow. After the horrors of World War I came to an end, the Geneva Convention promptly banned the use of all chemical and biological weapons in warfare. The Geneva Protocol, as it came to be known, was signed in 1925 and officially outlawed the use of asphyxiating, poisonous, or other gases and of all analogous liquids, materials, or devices, as well as bacteriological methods of warfare. There were those, however, who saw this ban not as a necessary preventative measure for the good of humankind, but instead as proof that chemical and biological weapons indeed worked. Or else, why would they need to be banned in the first place? So, in the 1930s, the Japanese government began a top-secret program to develop their own biological weapons— with the creation of a covert army division known as Unit 731. Led by Surgeon General Shiro Ishii, Unit 731 began its experiments in earnest after Japan invaded China in 1937 and started using the country's civilian population as their guinea pigs. But it wasn't until much later that the true horrors of Unit 731's experiments would come to light. From dissecting captives while they were still alive to giving them syphilis and watching them slowly deteriorate, Unit 731's experiments stand out as some of the most gruesome in human history. You're listening to History Uncovered, brought to you by the digital publisher All That's Interesting, where we explore the uncharted corners of the natural world and the world past. I'm All That's Interesting staff writer Austin Harvey, and this is the horrific story of Unit 731 and the ghastly experiments it conducted. To understand how Unit 731 came to be, we must first explore the life of Shiro Ishii, the mad scientist behind this monstrous unit. Ishii was born in Shibayama in 1892, the fourth son of a wealthy landowner and sake maker. As a child, he was often lauded as a potential genius due to his supposedly photographic memory. A loyal devotee of the Japanese Empire, Ishii joined the military at a young age and immediately stood out from other recruits. He was six feet tall, much taller than the average Japanese man, kept his uniform spotless, groomed his facial hair thoroughly, and had a commanding, deep voice. Despite his powerful physicality, however, Ishii did not embark upon a military career in the front lines. Instead, the promising young recruit discovered an interest in military medicine, focusing all of his efforts on becoming a doctor for the Imperial Japanese Army. Efforts that paid off when he was admitted to the Kyoto Imperial University's medical department in 1916. Naturally, Ishii's stellar memory and intelligence led to great success in the university, but as his knowledge expanded, so did his morbid curiosity. Over time, he became less and less curious about healing people and more concerned with how to torture them. 
He frequently caused trouble for his fellow students, getting them into trouble with teachers by using their lab stations in the middle of the night and leaving them uncleaned the next morning. He also had an odd habit of growing bacteria in petri dishes to be kept as pets, not just research experiments. Yet he never received any reprimand for his actions, and perhaps this lack of punishment opened the floodgates for Ishii's later moral failings, or perhaps not. One thing was abundantly clear, though. Shiro Ishii was not an empathetic man. Then, in 1927, Ishii made it his personal goal to develop the most effective biological weapons in the world. At the time, he was only a low-ranking officer in the military, yet he pushed and pleaded heavily for the creation of a unit that would research and implement biological weaponry. He relied primarily on the fact that Japan had signed the Geneva Agreements, but had not actually ratified them, meaning the country's official stance on the issue of chemical and biological weapons was still in limbo. In 1928, he was granted permission to take a two-year research tour of the world to see if other countries were, in fact, also researching or developing bioweapons, which, he discovered, they were, though none had made it a priority. But this was enough for the imperial Japanese government to grant Ishii's wish, and by 1930, with the country on the brink of war with China, Ishii was given the rank of major and appointed as a professor of immunology at the Tokyo Army Medical School. After Japan invaded Manchuria in 1931 and established the puppet state of Manchukuo, and especially after Japan invaded China once again in 1937, Ishii's dream of researching biological weapons finally came to fruition, with the creation of Unit 731. As Japanese forces stormed through China, Ishii established a secret facility in the northeastern corner of the country, roughly 62 miles south of the city of Harbin, in a small 300-home village known as Beiyin, which Japanese troops raised in order to construct the new facility. The facility held roughly 3,000 captives over the course of its existence, a mix of anti-Japanese workers, opposition guerrilla fighters, and innocent civilians who were labeled as suspicious persons. Most were killed within a month of their arrival, but before that happened, they were subjected to some of the most macabre and disturbing experiments in recorded history, all in the pursuit of making Ishii's horrifying dreams come true. For instance, one former Unit 731 medical worker named Takeo Wano claimed that he witnessed a prisoner pickled in a six-foot-high glass jar after being cut in half. Meanwhile, countless jars scattered throughout the facility contained human heads, hands, feet, and other appendages. Ensconced in their house of horrors and surrounded by body parts, Unit 731 researchers gradually became more and more depraved in their experimentation, to the point that they stopped viewing their prisoners as human beings and started referring to them as maruta, the Japanese word for logs. Unit 731 would mutilate the bodies of victims while they were still conscious, without a drop of anesthesia or pain-numbing agents, just as a way of studying how their organs functioned. Meanwhile, some prisoners were infected with diseases like cholera or the plague, and researchers would then remove their organs for experimentation to study the effects of the disease before decomposition could set in. Others had their limbs amputated and surgically reattached to different parts of their bodies, while others had body parts crushed, frozen, 
or cut off from circulation to observe the process of gangrene in action. Other scientists working for Unit 731 experimented with things like frostbite, submerging captives' limbs in tubs of water and ice until they froze solid and a layer of ice formed over their skin. One researcher, Yoshimura Hisato, took it a step further by trying various methods of then reanimating the frozen limb, including dousing them with scalding hot water, holding them over an open fire, or simply leaving the prisoner in agony for a night to observe how quickly their own blood could thaw the appendage out. At other times, Unit 731 conducted tests with non-biological weapons, herding prisoners together and firing at them with various weapons from a variety of ranges, taking note of the prisoners' wound patterns to compare and contrast. They tested weapons like pistols, bolt-action rifles, machine guns, grenades, bayonets, swords, knives, and flamethrowers. And much like their Nazi allies, they constructed gas chambers in which they could subject their prisoners to a number of deadly toxins. Sometimes, however, the tests didn't involve weapons at all. They would starve and dehydrate prisoners, forcing them to suffer slow, agonizing deaths as the scientists observed them from a distance. Scientists would also drop heavy objects onto their subjects, just to study the exact ways in which they were crushed. Other researchers exposed victims to x-rays for extended periods of time, leading many of them to become sterile and suffer horrible burns. Unit 731 also took a specific interest in syphilis, regularly infecting victims with the venereal disease, and then ordering male captives to rape both female and male prisoners to infect them with it so that the researchers could observe its effects. If a chosen subject failed to contract the disease, they would be raped again and again until they did. In fact, rape became a common element in Unit 731's experiments, and so did forced pregnancy. Many female prisoners who could bear children were raped and impregnated, then subjected to experiments involving various weapons or other trauma. The pregnant women were infected with diseases, exposed to chemical weapons and radiation, and had parts of their bodies crushed. Groups of gunmen fired at the women with weapons or lobbed grenades at them so that scientists could examine the shrapnel and bullet wounds. Often the women were then cut open so that researchers could examine the damage to the fetus. All of these twisted experiments were at least ostensibly in support of Unit 731's ultimate goal, to develop the most dangerous and lethal biological weapons of mass destruction that the world had ever seen. And by 1939, they were working with highly contagious and lethal diseases and plagues, hoping to develop a strain that they could spread across a large region in a very short period of time. The unit's first large-scale test of this sort occurred on October 4, 1940, when Japanese bombers dropped bombs over the Chinese village of Kyuzhou, each one loaded with 30,000 fleas that had sucked blood from dying prisoners infected with the bubonic plague. Witnesses recalled watching as a fine red dust coated the town, then feeling intense pain as the fleas began biting nearly everyone. In the end, more than 2,000 people in the town died of the plague, and roughly another 1,000 died in the nearby town of Yiwu after sick railway workers brought the plague with them. In total, other attacks using anthrax left around 6,000 people dead in the area. And had it not been for the Japanese army's defeat in World War II, similar attacks may very well have unfolded around the world. In fact, the Japanese were planning to launch just this sort of attack in California in 1945 before their plans fell apart.
August of 1945, Soviet troops moved into Manchuria, and the United States dropped two atomic weapons on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, leaving the Japanese army defeated and forced to surrender. Had they not, though, the Japanese army in Unit 731 would have acted on their plans to use plague-riddled fleas against citizens of the United States. The proposed plan was called Operation Cherry Blossoms at Night, and was intended to be put into action on September 22, 1945. The plan involved taking 20 new troops who had arrived in Harbin earlier that year to the California coast via submarine. From there, they would occupy a plane and fly to San Diego, dropping plague-riddled fleas over the city just as they had done in Kyushu before crashing into American soil. Fortunately, their plan never came to fruition. Immediately upon surrendering, the Japanese army began to destroy significant portions of documentation regarding Unit 731. Many of the researchers involved simply returned to Japanese society and held university positions as if nothing had happened. And the one man who could have been held the most responsible, and likely tried for war crimes, was granted immunity by the United States, General Shiro Ishii. Ishii's immunity came at a cost, though. In exchange, he had to supply the United States with his research, and is perhaps the only reason that accounts of the horrors that occurred under his supervision remain extant to this day. Despite the atrocities he committed, Ishii lived the rest of his days in peace until he died of throat cancer in 1959, at the age of 67. Others who worked under his command found higher positions of power, including governor of Tokyo and head of the Japan Medical Association. And many of them showed no remorse for their actions. In fact, a significant portion of them rationalized their research, arguing that vivisection should be a normal operation or claiming that experiments conducted on children were justified because their parents were likely spies. To this day, the Japanese government has never apologized for these horrifying experiments, and China has never forgiven them. Thanks for listening to History Uncovered. I'm History Uncovered's producer, Kit Westneat. If you like the show, help others find us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And be sure to follow the All That's Interesting and History Revealed pages on Facebook and Real History Uncovered on Instagram. Make sure you don't miss out on the new episodes and subscribe to the History Uncovered podcast. And keep up with our latest stories at allthatsinteresting.com. If you have a question about the show or just want to say hi, feel free to call us at 929-526-3029 or email us at podcast at allthatsinteresting.com. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Legends of the Old West and Redacted History. Until next time, keep exploring. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.